read from the book of Genesis chapter 32. If it was just my own thought and to encapsulate my own communication, I would read just one of these scriptures, but maybe for the benefit of all of us, we might find context in where we are today. So I'll read from the beginning portion of verse 22. Of course, we're still jumping to the middle of a narrative that lends itself to the upheaval of a life, a family, and many people. Not all of the people that are in transit, transit are, are mentioned here. Servants and helpers and labor and staff. When we speak of he, we're talking about Jacob. He rose up that night. He took his two wives Two women servants and his 11 sons passed over the ford Jabbok. He took them. He sent them over the brook and he sent over that he had, which implies, of course, that everything that he owned was sent away. All the herds of sheep and cattle and goats, all the caravans and merchandise that he might have acquired from years of service, he sent it all ahead of him. And then, to me, my singular pivotal verse. And Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the break of the day. When Jacob saw that he could not prevail against him, he, meaning this theophany, angelic host, the embodiment of the invisible God, touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. He said to Jacob, let me go for the day breaketh and Jacob said, I won't let you go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, what is thy name? God never ask a question that he doesn't already know the answer. But he needed Jacob to reveal the infractions of his life. I'm a subplanter. I'm a deceiver. That's my name. That's my reputation. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince thou hast power with God and with men and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, well, tell me, I pray thee thy name. And he said, wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. And I preach today the night of my recovery. And I pray that the Lord would help me to deliver the word. In Jesus' name, we need your holy anointing in this house, Lord. Now, Father, I pray. Baptize this entire tabernacle and this sanctuary with your spirit, Lord. Open up the hearts of the people, Lord. 
Use me to speak the word, God, to us that will live forever. The word that's greater than all assets of life, the accumulation of this journey in this mortal flesh, I pray. Let this word sink deep into our hearts. Rescue us today. Help us, Lord, the people that have come. Do your perfect will. For thine is the kingdom. Thine is the power. Thine is the glory forever. hallelujah Jesus hallelujah Jesus just put your Bibles down behind you and just with your hands just do something with with them as an offering to God a praise out of your mouth say stole him in a door Thank you. You may be seated. Something old often seems to have a bearing on something present in so many ways that statement alone can reap benefits, but sometimes the old past defines the current there are things that I know that many wish they could free themselves from shed maybe but they are still present today I suppose that the Bible has given us the appropriate amount of footage both of men and women their lives loves failures their successes and fallouts so that none of us are left out And I submit today that it's not the miraculous things of God that he has done for me. That arrests my attention. Rather, it's what he asks of me that becomes more significant. It's not the wonder that I have seen but it's what he asks of me it grips me more than the miracle please understand misunderstand the word today I, his miracles and provisions and blessings they are magnificent there is nothing like seeing the end result of the Lord's power your prayer being answered Your answered prayer is a moment of rejoicing. It is wonderful. Mine. There is no power like God's power. There is no help like his help. None have risen higher than he. But it's the ask that challenges my spirit and my mind. Consider the moment when Jesus arrived in Bethany to go see his friends, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, who has passed away. He walks upon the scene of mourners. They are friends. He knows many of them. He's been there many times. Everyone is weeping. They're crying over the loss of a brother, a dear friend, a companion. And Jesus finally arrives, and they see him, but they misread him. As people often misread the Lord, they misread him. They think of the Lord differently than he is. 
His delay is, is not for naught, but it comes with an objective. But their thoughts for him is with pity. The Lord is about to call Lazarus from the dead. And of course, we know that Lazarus has been dead four days. The mummified process of the poor would not allow for the same preserving treatment of a royal. So they all are aware of the condition of the body, the dead body. Even his sister knows the time of decay and of decomposition. Martha says, Lord, by now he stinketh. Jesus is about to raise the dead back to life. He's preparing to call the spirit of Lazarus back into the frail frame from which he came. It was impossible, but there he stands. No one had ever thought that the death of Lazarus was anything less than a finality of a sick man whose body has given way to the course of natural sickness. But there is Jesus ready. He's in preparation to do what only he can do. They have no idea what he's about to do. His miracles and provisions and blessings, as I have said, they are so magnificent. Who is like the Lord, the, the writer of the song says, and the answer is nobody. Who is like the Lord? And the answer, of course, is nobody. Nobody is like the Lord. Pure power from he who formed the dust and crafted by his own voice the elements of time and space. He stands ready to speak into the void world of the unknown. The made-up superheroes of modern age and the mythical gods of the Bronze Age combine them all with the superstition of the, of the Egyptians' gods of sun and moon. All of it, drawings and sayings and of a stone and earth cannot compare to the incarnate Emmanuel that stood before them in front of that sealed tomb. First, he will ask of them something. He asked, Jesus asked them to remove the heavy stone. Tell me if you can how he can call reality back into life and remove conclusiveness. And if he can speak breath back into the abyss of lifelessness, can he also not remove the stone himself? If he can call Lazarus back from the dead, can he not also remove the stone all by himself? Tell me. If he can do the wonders of the unknown, can he not always also take rocks and boulders and stone that block the entrance to the body which will one moment later wobble out of that black cave? If he can do all of that, why does he ask of me to remove the stone? Can you see this today? What he asks of us is his primary. The primary is not what he can do. He asks something of us and his ask will always determine how far he can take us. Not how far he can go. What he asks us determines how far in the life or in God that he can take us. But where he can go is never limited. Has no limitation. Oh my, he's not amazed by his own handiwork. He's been God all along. He's been good before you and I ever called him good. 
He's not good because you call him good. And if you say God is good and someone echoes all the time, you have a limited scope. Not anything you can say can make him better than he already has been. He's going to be just as good tomorrow as he is before you ever found out that he was good. When the Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, you didn't have to taste to see that he was good. He was good before you tasted him. But when you tasted him, you found out what he already was before you ever opened up your mouth to consume him. He's been good before the world were formed. He was good before you were born. He's good today, even in your trouble. He'll be good tomorrow when you are down and out. He's going to be good when you are gone from here. He's good to everybody because that's who he is. He was never amazed that he was good. He's been more gracious and more kind and more merciful before we ever lend our mind and laid our minds to the fact. And he's been forgiven before we ever ask him to forgive us. He has never surprised himself. He never stood back and said, can you believe I just did that? I know. I know what that feeling is like because I pulled up in the driveway and I don't know what they were doing, but Nico had the basketball and he was throwing the basketball behind his head and it went over about 20 feet and it just swished and it just happened at the right time. And I got out of the car and he said, Dad, can you believe I just did that? As if that's going to get him a scholarship somewhere. I promise you, if he gives a scholarship to... To play basketball. That will be a miracle. I'm going to tell you right now, that's going to be an awesome day. Come on, let's pray for it right now. Oh, Jesus, help us. Had the Lord never dunked a basketball, he never raised somebody and said, can you believe I just did that? He never healed your body. He said, I can't believe how good I am. God's been good all along. He never surprises himself. Standing in front of that tomb did not surprise him. He was not in awe of his own power. What he really wanted to do was to show somebody, I got something for you to do. It's not about what I can do. It's about what you will do. My ask is greater than my ability. Oh, yeah. Yes, he, he knew all of that before we found out. He wasn't on a dry run to call back to life the thing that was dead. Lazarus was no obstacle for him. Come on now. He knew Lazarus long before Lazarus' mother ever gave him a name. My substance was not hid from thee. When I was made in secret and cursely wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuation were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! Before Lazarus ever took a breath in this life, he saw the substance of him. But Jesus was unwilling to do what he could do until they did what they could do they gathered around that stone and they pushed with all their might to displace what they had put there the task was the ask now watch it jacob is laden with the image of a supplanter he is stained with the reputation of a deceiver he in our text he is without a home he is in need of a settling he is an itinerant man with no place for his family and no land for his sheep he is a nomad in search of a dwelling place and a birthright holder in search of significance 
Decades have passed since he lost, last saw his brother Esau. There is no mention of his parents, which are now presumed both dead and buried. It's just him and his older brother Esau. And the last time that he saw Esau, he saw the look on Esau's face. He heard the sounds of a scorned and bitter brother. And yes, Jacob can remember the day he ran away. He ran for his life. So many years ago, he was running just to save himself, having stole the birthright by deception. Back then, Jacob was still immature. He was reckless. Back then, he ran away. He will pause in his escape to a place called Bethel. In a dream state, he saw a ladder and angels ascending and descending on it. He saw the Lord standing at the gateway of doors heaven. Of heaven's door. Uh, and it was the most awesome spiritual experience of his life. But he, he came upon that first place unprepared and unaware. He left it almost the same way he found it. He left without any clue of conviction or intent. Bethel was not on his map. It was not a pers- purposeful place to stop. In fact, Jacob said, God was here. And I didn't even know it. Like those men who walked that nine mile trek from Jerusalem to the city of Emmaus after the crucifixion. They were walking without intent or without purpose. Jesus appeared to them as they were walking. He talked with them. The resurrected Savior speaking, communicating, revealing wonders, answering questions. But the journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus was one of confusion. It was a cloudy mix of desperation and hunger. And when Jesus disappeared, all they had left was a lonesome statement that read, Didn't our hearts burn? within us they didn't even have an idea accidental encounters it might be good in some respect maybe every encounter with God is good but I submit today that there is a difference between stumbling upon God and seeking him out there is a difference between the unexpected visitation and my determined resolute unshakable pursuit of him I am not here today by accident. I came in for a need and an answer even this very day. I did not come out of, come in this place out of tradition. I came in searching for him. I would seek Jesus. It is my intent to seek him and to find him. Jacob will leave that encounter and years will pass and Jacob will have graduated from the school of in-kind retribution having to deal with a father-in-law who is also a master deceiver. And having escaped now yet again the clutches of his father-in-law, Jacob is on his way back. He's about to face a problem that he cannot fix. Esau is waiting on the other side of Jacob's journey. Time does not heal and Jacob knows it. Distance does not solve the issue and Jacob is certain of it. He needs something from God but he doesn't know what it is. He needs an undisclosed blessing without boundaries or limitations that God determines. Think of this. The Bible says of Jesus, he's sitting in the seat of what the scripture calls the unchangeable priesthood. And I quote, he, the Lord, is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. The Lord does that. Paul wrote, likewise, the spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. And intercession was made by the spirit without borders and boundaries, because we don't always know what we need. In fact, I submit to you today that you rarely even know what you really need. And furthermore, what you need is not necessarily the answer. It's the ask. You probably need the night and what happens in the night more than you need the name. 
Jacob sought an open blessing. He did not find God's provision. He was not after something specific. He was after the unfettered blessing of the Lord. Whatever, Lord, you think I need, that's what I'm here for. And when Jacob arrived, prayer ensued. And there, Jacob was alone and he wrestled in the night. The first words we hear from that angelic being was a request. Let me go, for the day breaketh. And I ask you, who can restrain God? Why would you say, let me go? Who can keep God within their grasp? What is mortal man that he can shackle the hands of the omnipotent, immortal, supernatural, omnipresent Lord of hosts? What is man that thou art mindful of him or the son of man that you should visit him? But Jacob tied up the Lord with purpose and hunger and desire. He wrestled all night and held on to God. And I say to you today that for the better portion of my ministry, the ministry which the Lord has entrusted with, with me, I have had to wrestle my way in and through decisions and directions and understandings. I've done it and been there so many times when things are not right and the world seems askew. Lives are tilted and oblique. Some things gnaw at my own spirit and I need an answer to a question that I cannot even pose or put into words. I've been there so many times. I've prayed but I cannot put my finger on the specific of my need. I know there is trouble ahead. A storm brewing off in the distance. I cannot see the gray clouds but I know they're looming above all of my spiritual senses are kindled like flames in a desert place but I cannot keep them and keep it at bay. I'm not sure what to ask for. All I know is that God has commissioned me to wrestle with him. He wants me to strive with him on the other side of my toil. Sure I can see how he orchestrated the moment but at the present time I must wrestle. God will do what God will do but he really wants me to wrestle with him. Like the disciples who toiled on that open sea thinking they would perish all the while Jesus slept in the bottom of a boat. Little did they know that he designed both the troubled waters and the peace that followed. He is the Lord of the storm and he is the Lord of the calm. He is the master of the rise and he is the master of the fall. But we have a hard time seeing who he is until the placid waters clear our mind. I know that he's the way maker. I know that he's the deliverer. I've heard myself preach. Not bad. Needs a little less volume. Sometimes I'm too sharp. Brash. Jokes don't fly. Stop pointing my finger. Alexandra tells me all the stuff. She's honest. Please don't be. <laughs> I don't need somebody else. <laughs> Yeah, she'd tell me, stop preaching things only you understand. We like to know what's going on. <laughs> I should never have had that girl. She's bothered me a lot. <laughs> I've heard the words come out of my mouth. He's the way maker. He's a healer. He's a river in a dry place. Everybody ought to say amen. He is that. But when the way is not clear and I am given the task of struggling, my faith is on trial. See, we cannot see the end of the thing. But I rise to say that God has never failed. He is both the author and the finisher of our faith. He never stated anything that he cannot complete. And he never started anything that he cannot finish. The objective is not his power. It's my faith. I'd like to have some reassurances. I'll be frank with you. But faith doesn't offer the tangible.
And those who only move by sight never come to understand the beauty and the wonder of the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Romans 1. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as is written. The just shall live by faith. And besides, pardon my grammar. If you saw it, you would not have to faith it. But when you cannot see it, you are forced to faith it. But a lot of people like to see it. Before they enact on it. But that's not how God works. Oh man. And Jacob somehow. Per God's allowance. Jacob has grabbed a hold of the incarnation. He's laid a hold of a theophany. The one who cannot be held. I say that because of Jacob's last statement. For I have seen God face to face. He was holding on to God. Jacob left with a new name and a, and a lame leg. God changed his name to Israel and God hollowed out his thigh. God gave him a new image, but God also caused his hip to be out of joint, permanently damaged for the rest of his life. Hmm. Go try that on all those prosperity preachers. Here, pastor today, I got a word for you. God already knew what Jacob needed. There were no surprises that night when Jacob purposely came to find the Lord. Peniel was not like Bethel. Jacob went there to find him. Bethel sounds good. It actually sounds a lot more spiritual than Peniel. I like the name Bethel. I, th I think that's a great name. I, I know a lot of churches named Bethel. But Peniel is on purpose and Bethel is on surprise. <laughs> Did you want me to preach this word to you today? I'm digging down deep inside of you. Because what you really want is the miracle, but what you really need is the night. What you want is the provision, but what you really need is the wrestling. His portion is limitless. Mine is temporal. But to get to his portion, I got to wrestle. It's the ask. <laughs> Jacob is coming to find God and... He did not catch God unaware. All of that was in the divine order of the creator from the creation of time. And in that order, Jacob would seek God and wrestle alone through the night. It was a physical, exhausting measure where his muscles are strained. My father wrestled with us when we were kids. Just his head pressing against my shoulder. His hand gripping the back of my head. Holding me in that position. It was exhausting. Just, just bent over in that position. Wrestlers are pressing, gripping the strain of the whole body. Every muscle is tense, riddled with pain. Even in the Old Testament, the writer writes in Hebrews, Abak, which means to grapple. It was both the image and the reality of that night. Jacob wrestled all night. And in the morning, God would bless him and change his name to Israel. That's a change in reputation. But God also changed the way he appeared because Jacob will limp. And that was the revision in his disposition. And it all happened at the conclusion of the wrestling with God. The wonder was ready, but the stone was the ask. Lazarus could come forth, but the stone was my part. The new name, the new gate, the blessings, the res restoration, the birthright was already prepared. But the night is what God required. God could solve the issue from the start. But it's what he asked of me that allows me access to stand before him. The miracle is already waiting. It's prepared. I'm not waiting on the miracle. You're not waiting on God to give you a miracle. God's waiting on you. You're not waiting on God to be great. He's waiting on you to remove the stone. He's not 
You're not waiting on him for him to give you a new disposition and a new outlook on life. He's waiting on you to submit to the ass, to wrestle with him. Raising Lazarus, no problem. But the stone, that's what I make it to be. A new outlook, a new anointing, power, position, blessing, no problem. No one has ever exhausted the catalog of God's provisions, but I've got a season of grappling to get there. How about a brand new disposition? Sure, God can do it, but he's waiting to see if through perseverance you will hold on to him. The Lord escaped the grip of the accusers. He can get away from them, goodness, how many times. He left those who were faithless. They could not get back to him through their unbelief. He was absent from the disobedience. Go check out AI and the law suffered in that no account valley. But God has designed himself so that he cannot escape the relentless fervency of a desperate person. He can't get free from you. I tell you today that the answer is not just in the pursuit, but the answer is the pursuit. The key is the quest. And God ordained it that way. Our thirst for God is the water in itself. Can you hear what I'm preaching today? But if from there you seek your God, you will find Him. You look for Him with all of your heart and your soul. Ezra said, the hand of our God is upon all them for good that seek Him. But His power and His wrath is against all them that forsake Him. There was the whole plight of Job who said, and I quote, Oh, that I knew where I might find Him, that I might come even to His seat and plead my cause. God, that made the whole world and all things therein seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth dwelleth not in temples made with hands neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything seeing that he giveth to all life and breath and all things and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell upon the face of the earth and hath determined the time before appointed and the boundaries of their habitation that they should seek him if haply they might feel after him and find him though he be not far from everyone of us. Hear me. The greatest growth of our lives happen when we are in search of him. Our advancement is not in the provision though I know that's what you want it to be but our advancement is the wrestling the night and the struggle because without the process we cannot handle the provision. That's why whoever wins the lottery, and I don't know, maybe I hope, maybe I hope not. I, I hope you're not playing it and, and wasting your money. But whoever wins the $1.6 billion, I'm going to tell you right now, most of those people that win the lottery, they have suffered suicides in their homes and devastation and divorces, and their children have got hooked on drugs. Why? Because they never went through the process to get to the prize. If all you want is a prize, you're going to lose the prize because the process Equals the prize, the process. I got to tell you about the night of my recovery. The night of my recovery was not when I got a new name. The night of my recovery is when I sought the Lord and I grabbed a hold of him. I'll tell you the best times of your life is going to be when you're struggling together. And when you're trying to figure out the scripture, and we're trying to lay hold on truth, and we're trying to get someplace, 
Sometimes you think the destination is all that. I want to tell you what. The destination is just one little moment in time. But it's the journey that amounts to everything. If you can get on the journey, then you'll have a better appreciation for the destination. If you can understand what the journey is today. Hear me. God has the destination already in mind. He already knows what he's going to do. But you got to push back and say, I'm going to get on the journey. I'm going to get in the night. The night of wrestling with God was what saved me. Do you understand what we're talking about today? Do you understand the scripture? The ask of God? Do you understand that's where our society is right now? That people graduate from high school and they think they'd already like to have the gold watch and the nice car and the nice home and they're wondering why they can't get that? I'll tell you, I'll tell you what we've done. We've told all kinds of generations of people now in America and beyond that all you have to do is be alive and you deserve everything. Hear me. You don't deserve everything and you're not going to get everything. And if you get it too soon, you'll lose it all very soon because it's only the journey and the ask and the problem that helps you to appreciate uh-huh. I got it I know we were in New York and we saw the new styles and new styles it's kind of like a retro style 1970 and 1980 with the blue jeans already tore with holes pre-made prefab in the jeans they got tours tears in the in the jeans they got and the seats look like they're worn out and the knees kind of look like they're worn out it looks like a pair of blue jeans that my dad wore after years of working in them now what we were paying for the image that we've been working a long time and they're brand new can you imagine that you'd buy something that already looks wore out that's the style looks like they've been around a long time they ain't even been around they ain't been off the shelf they got the new smell but somebody's in the back room tearing holes in them and saying I'm just going to leapfrog you forward it looks like you've been working a job for years you haven't done anything they got a can of grease. Let's put some grease down here on the bottom of them. Uh-huh. How much does that cost? 150 bucks. That's the idea. You want the Lord? You want to get him? I'll tell you what he wants. He wants you to put your shoulder up against that stone. You need a miracle in your family? He wants you to get your knees right down on the altar so you start praying. Why does God do that? Because he can do everything. But he wants you to know that there's a relationship that's greater than your miracle. And your walk with God is greater than the miracle. Come on. Your walk with God is greater than your provision. Getting there is greater than being there. But if you get there after going through the night, you will recover. And yes, of course, God can answer it all. Of course, God knows what you need. In fact, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, Your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. Huh. But Jesus said, Again, ask, and ye shall receive. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, it shall be opened. So why the two statements? Why must we ask if he already knows? Why are we knocking? But he's already been there standing waiting to open it up long before we ever knocked and arrived. You see, the answer is in the night of the wrestling 
The answer is in the stone that is heavy and causes us to strain. The striving to find him is our best benefit and his blessings demand the night. It's what he asks of me, not what he does for me. And I wrote a note of the same to myself some time ago. It was a single statement and it read as a reminder that the temptation of too much and the blessing of not enough has to be forefront in my mind. The day of fulfillment is not near as important as the night of prayer. Because Esther fasted three days before she entered the king's court. The answer was in a spiritual intervention. Moses held his hands up so Joshua could defeat the battle. The answer was a spiritual resolution. Seven days of silent marching around Jericho probably looked inconsequential and frivolous. It was an odd ask, to say the least, of course, until the walls fell down. Well, why do you want us to do that, Pastor? Why does the Lord want us to do that? Well, I'll tell you what. I'm not exactly sure. But on the other side, we'll find out. I'm not exactly sure why we're doing all this stuff. But the day that the walls fall down in your life and you get an appreciation for the victory that God gave you, you're going to look back and say the ask was nothing. I'm so glad I went through the journey because where I'm at right now, it's a good place to be. But I would never appreciate where I'm at until I went through the night. I got recovered in the night. I was recovered in the wrestling. I was recovered when I didn't know what to ask for. I recovered when I said, Lord, whatever you want from me. I'm preaching a little word to you now because a night of wrestling with God will change the way you think. Vain thoughts and trivial pursuits get wrung out in the wrestling. The strain of seeking for God, searching for Him, is perhaps a prerequisite to a new name and a new walk and a new talk and a new mind. Jacob recovered that night. He, he recovered. He was renewed that night. In fact, before the day broke, his own view of himself was deepened and found. And, and I say today, it takes a night of wrestling. Hear me. You're struggling. I am persuaded that I am preaching to someone here who has struggled. But I say to you that God is with you in the struggle. And if he can just get you to trust him through the night. If you won't give up in your time of loneliness. If you won't give up in your time of want. If you won't give up when you have no money. If you won't give up when you have no friends. If you won't give up when you feel like giving up. You're going to recover in the night. You're going to think that you recovered when you got a new name. You're going to think you recovered when you got a new walk. But the Bible says that before the day broke. God gave him a new name. And I'm preaching to someone who's struggling. But I want you to know, just trust the Lord. Hear me. He has an impeccable reputation. God has never let anyone down. In the course of human history, God has never forsook his people. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He's never showed up too soon. You know, you know the dinner. Come on, you all, you all know the dinner. Okay, everybody come at five. 
You think you got 45 minutes left to vacuum? You think? Let's straighten up all the stuff. Had you had the 45 minutes left, the house would have looked like, man, it would have made you proud. But somebody decided they should come an hour early. And the green beans weren't even done. And we didn't even have a talk with the kids. Now listen, we're having friends and family over the church family. Would you stop acting like... Just for a night. I'll take you to Disney World next week. Just for a night. Just... Could the devil just be put in the closet here? Can we just get along? Act like we're friendly and nice. Just surprise yourself a little bit. Oh, no, no, no. Someone has to show up real early. Adorable. Who is it? Oh, my God. The dinner guests are here. Well, wouldn't we tell them five o'clock? Yes. Lord never showed up too early. He never showed up too late. In fact, he shows up right in the moment. He's not on your time, but his timing is perfect. He's never overpromised and underdelivered. He don't sell ginsu knives or little the slicer die. He doesn't the glue that never goes away. He didn't. You know, most of that's a lie. There's no gorilla glue, really. That I've tried that. That's not true. It doesn't hold things together. He never told you something that he backtracked on and took back. All the promises of God are yea and amen. They're complete. When he said it, it's done. It's in order. It's done. It's going to happen. God, different than people, never gave you a prophecy that was already in play. And you didn't see it. He's never let anyone fall or fail regardless of how many times they stumbled. No mountain or valley ever kept him back. He's never failed to be present in your time of your trouble. All of his promises are true because God is not a man that he should lie. He giveth power to the faint and to them that have no might he increaseth them in strength. Even the young people shall faint and be weary. Young men shall utterly fall but they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. They, they that wait on the Lord in the night you are waiting. You do not know when he's coming but I'm going to tell you if you'll just wait on the Lord don't move. Don't stay. Don't stop. Don't change locations. Don't change your pew. Don't change the place where you're sitting. Don't change your worship style. Don't change your voice. Don't change your clapping. You just wait on the Lord. You stay right where you are because God's going to make his way to you. And when you wait on him, he's going to do something at the end. You will have known that you recovered. 
I'm reading the Bible to you today. And the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. All who rage against you, they will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you, they shall be as nothing and perish. Though you search for your enemies, you will not find them. Though they wage war against you, you will be more than them and they will be nothing at all. For I am the Lord, Isaiah 41, your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. Hear me, your recovery is coming. It's in the night. Somebody's got to hear what I'm saying today. You got to hear what the Holy Ghost is trying to tell you. He's going to ask of you something. It's going to be greater. It's going to be more powerful. And I love what the songwriter wrote and we sang it when we were kids. He said, he didn't bring us this far to leave us. You mean all this way, God would lead you out of all that stuff He'd lead you from all that debauchery and conflict and sin and shame and all the things that was pressed upon you, things you did wrong. He didn't leave you this far, lead you this far to leave you. He's not leaving you. He didn't leave you. You didn't go through trial and loss and torment and suffering. He didn't leave you. He didn't bring you this far to leave you. He didn't teach you how to swim just to put you in an atmosphere that you could drown. He didn't teach you to swim just to let you drown. He's ne- no one's ever gone down. And the songwriter said, he didn't build his home in us to move away. He never changes directions. If you ever leave God or lose him, It's because you moved away. He never moved. (sighs) Hear the message of the parable. The father is always at home looking for you to come back. He didn't lift you up this far just to pull the legs out and see you crumble. He didn't put the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God inside of you. His own presence and spirit. And then take it away. The last moment when you really needed him, he didn't do that. He's never failed. His reputation is impeccable. They tried to defame him. Even his disciples are trying to wonder. They were wondering what this was all about. There that blind man said. They're all trying to find fault. Lord, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Who, who sinned? This? It's an insane question. Was he born blind because his parents were sinners? Was this a curse upon his life? And the Lord said, no, nobody sinned here. This was so the glory of God might be manifest. I got to work the work of him while it's the day. The night cometh when no man can work. And he healed the blind man. 
And everybody knew the healing. And the enemies of the Lord went to the parents because they wanted to refute the impeccable reputation of the master. And they tried to get out of them a statement that perhaps he wasn't that blind. Or maybe some other means healed him. And the parents feel the political pressure of the Pharisees. And they say, as a great deferment, you know, uh, maybe you should ask him. He's of age. And they press the blind man for an answer. To try to refute the impeccable reputation of the master. And the final statement, the only true statement they could get from the man who was blind and now is healed, he said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. But I'll tell you one thing. I used to be lost and inept and struggling. My family was messed up. My marriage was messed up. All the love wrung out of it. My kids were on, on the fringe. I didn't have a home or a family. I can't answer all the stuff. I don't know all that. But one thing I do know, I used to be that. I used to be blind. But now I see. Hear me. I don't know how I got here. But I just know that I wrestled with God. I was in the night. I found my recovery in the nighttime. I found my recovery when I sought him out. When I looked for him and, and I tried to find him. And in the searching for him. The groaning for him. Uh, uh, I pray right now over your life. Don't get discouraged now. Don't, don't get discouraged. Because the answer hasn't come. Just... Come on, you, you can hold on to God. He's not going to be able to get away from your fervent cry. He can't escape the clutches of your desperate spirit. He can't break free. He designed himself. He cannot get away when you call on the Lord. He's got to ask of you now. He's going to ask of you, cry to me. Come to me. Seek for me, all ye people. Give everything up. Ah. Uh, just stand with me now and just I know I don't want to provoke you too much but I want to provoke you to something good would you pr- just raise your hand to the Lord and just say Lord here I am now here I am I need your help I need your help I need your help he's more interested in you calling on him than he is giving you what you ask for because in your desperate need is when you really find your help your recovery your strength He can take you farther than what you're asking, but... Oh, come on now. Somebody's got to roll some stones away today. Get out of that pew and come roll your stone away at this altar. Come on, put your shoulder up against that stone. Everybody that you you heard, you heard the word now. It's the word of God. It's the word of God. You got to do it by faith and not by sight. You got to walk out and say, Lord, I've got to have something from you. And what I need of you, Lord, I know I'm going to find it in my pursuit of you, Lord. A resolute mind, a spirit.
in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus.